Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be back with you. Take your Bibles tonight and join me in Daniel chapter 9, please. We're going to return to our Wednesday night series through the book of Daniel. Oh, man, have we had a time going through this book. Amen. And it's just getting gooder now. So we're currently considering the 70-week prophecy Daniel received from God through the angel Gabriel after Daniel had been praying and fasting in sackcloth and ashes. Daniel understood by reading the prophet Jeremiah how the Judean captivity in Babylon was to last 70 years. And now that the Medo-Persians have taken over the Babylonians, it is clear that the time should be soon. And so he begins to pray. In the context of Jeremiah's prophecy, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses, or chapters 29 through 31, they would be visited by God, they would return to the land, the city would be built where they would serve their king who God was going to raise up and God would establish the new covenant with them. With all of this coming after the captivity, it is very likely that they're expecting the Messiah to arrive because that's what they saw in their Messiah. So, in connection with the Messiah's arrival would be a release from captivity. Remember, they have always felt that they would be delivered from Gentile bondage and that they would return to the land and dwell in peace and safety. But Daniel had received visions from God that the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire was still to come. And out of those two, remember, there would be one that would rise up out of both that was going to cause great hardship to those who returned to the land. And so how can this be? Um, I think it makes sense that they might have been asking something like this. How could the new covenant be established after, uh, by the Messiah's arrival at the end of the captivity in Israel still be under Gentile control because they remained under Gentile control. Even though they went back to the land, it was still under Persian rule. In fact, when you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll find they keep going back to Persia to figure out what in the world's going on with all these decrees. Gabriel shows up as Daniel was praying. He gives Daniel skill and understanding, or that's why he came, um, which I believe is likely meant to correct their thinking on, on the Messiah and what his arrival would look like. And come to find out the Messiah's first arrival, it would not be a conquering political leader, but it would be a suffering savior, a suffering Messiah. He was not going to deliver them out from underneath Gentile bondage. And it was not going to play out like they had hoped. The city and the temple would once again be destroyed in the future. And the house of Judah would be taken captive again. And we'll, we can see all this later in the Olivet Discourse, but I'm not going there. I want to begin tonight by reading the prophecy. And if that's too small to read, just look in your Bible. Amen. <laughs> all right. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. 
Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So we've already covered verse 24, where we are told these 70 weeks are determined. Remember, they've been cut out. That's what it means. They've been cut out of history for a very definite purpose. And these 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city or upon the children of Israel, as Daniel prayed in verse 20. And obviously, this would refer the holy city to Jerusalem. And then we get the six primary purposes of this special period of time. It would be to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, all of these find their fulfillment in Christ. Amen. I don't care where you're at in your position. That's pretty much everyone's opinion. The debate then is when. Were they fulfilled in Christ's first coming, or will it be fulfilled in Christ's second coming? I'm of the opinion it is fulfilled in his first coming. And if it's his second coming, I think we have a problem if we're going to literally look at that because Satan's going to be loosed for a thousand years, or at the end of the thousand years. And so how could these things have come to an end? So it must be understood spiritually in the work that Christ did on the cross. And if all of this is news to you that I believe the 70 weeks have already come to pass, then stay with me as we go. It's going to make a lot more sense as we go through this. At least I hope it will. And you'll see that I'm at least not an idiot. Last time we considered who issued the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem spoken of in verse 25. This marks the beginning of the 70-week prophecy. And the only viable options in order of Persian rule would be Cyrus, Darius, or Darius, and Artaxerxes. The Bible is clear in my mind that only Cyrus's decree fulfills this command to restore and to build Jerusalem. Don't forget, it's important to understand that the word restore means to return. And so this is a return as in, as in turning back, returning to the land. Only Cyrus can be said to be the one who released them from captivity. Neither Darius or, nor Artaxerxes ever issued a decree for them to be released from captivity. God foretold of Cyrus before he was born by name. God said Cyrus would release the captives, that he would order the building of the temple and the city. Cyrus is said to be the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. And since he's the only one who ended the captivity, the case is closed in my mind on who issued the decree. Now, those who argue for Artaxerxes do so because they want the 483 years unto the Messiah, the prince, to fit man's dates. 
but you can't always trust man's dates. And if there's a conflict, you go with the Bible. And so you can't trust antiquity dating anyway. Oh, Christ reset the calendar. Then why do we say he was born in 4 or 6 B.C.? So it, you just can't trust all the dates anyhow. Uh, just go with God's word. Now, if you missed any of the last two messages, I ask you, as always, go back, listen to those, because there was a lot that was covered that I don't have time to recap at this point. And so for tonight, I want to pick up where we left off, and that is from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. Now, it's interesting, as I was studying this, that before this prophecy was hijacked by dispensational theology beginning in the mid to late 1800s, earlier commentators never struggled with the events of what follows in this prophecy like we do today. Actually, it's kind of humorous to me what they find to be the most difficult thing to understand about this prophecy would be why is it divided into three sections? Why is it seven weeks, 62 weeks, and then one week? And I just find that interesting that they didn't worry about all this other stuff. <laughs> and so they consider that hard to grasp. And why are the 70 weeks divided into three sections? We'll get to that. We know the issuance of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem would begin the 70 weeks. But which event indicated the end of the first seven weeks and the beginning of the 62 weeks and so on? I'll give you my opinion as we go, but here's what we know for sure. Once the command went forth to restore and to build Jerusalem, there would be seven weeks and 62 weeks, or a total of 69 weeks, which means there would be 483 years unto the Messiah, the Prince. Now, listen to me, please. Don't allow all the debate that takes place over this passage to diminish the significance of this statement that we're reading here in God's Word. To my knowledge, this is the only prophecy in the Old Testament that nails down to the year that Christ would arrive. I say no wonder Satan attacks this passage more than most because it's the one that pinpoints when Christ would come. And, and this is important because we need to understand God is not in hiding. Right? He's never been in hiding. He's not camouflaging himself. He's not making it difficult to know him or to find him. He's there. He wants to be discovered. He's not placed us in some elaborate scavenger hunt that we have to figure out. But God is in the open. Even Jesus said, and in secret have I said nothing. God is clear in His Word how you can enter into a relationship with Him. God let His people in the Old Testament know the Messiah was on the way. And he goes as far in Daniel's day to state the Messiah is 483 years away from this command. Be ready. Be on the lookout. God wants to be discovered by those who will humbly seek after him. God wants to save you. God wants you to know him. What a blessing. With there being 69 weeks or 483 years unto the Messiah, the the prince, then which event marked the end of the 69 weeks and the beginning of the 70th week? There are four commonly held positions, and that would be Christ's birth, his baptism, his triumphal entry, and some say his death. I think once we examine this, 
we will discover easily that it makes the most sense that it would be Christ's baptism that marks the end of the 69th week and the beginning of the 70th week. In my opinion, Christ's birth doesn't make sense because Christ wasn't publicly presented as the Messiah to Israel at that time. Plus, verse 26 begins by saying, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. And remember, we are meant to add those preceding seven weeks for a total of 69 there when we read that in verse 26. And so his birth, which means his birth had to be before the 69th week since he would die after the 69th week at the age of 33 and a half. And I just confused myself in what I said. But point is, his birth doesn't make sense because he would have been born uh, before the 69th week. And then Christ's triumphal entry doesn't make sense to me because that took place during crucifixion week. And the beginning of verse 27, I believe, speaks of what would take place in the middle of the 70th week, which would be three and a half years into Christ's public ministry. And we can't squeeze three and a half years into one week. His death doesn't make sense to me because Christ would be cut off after 69 weeks. It doesn't say that he would be cut off immediately at the conclusion of 69 weeks, as some say, but he would be cut off sometime after that 69th week. And verse 27 makes it clear in my mind, Christ would be cut off in the middle of the 70th week. So with verse 25 only bringing us to the end of the 69 weeks or the beginning of the 70th week, and with Christ being cut off in the middle of the 70th week, then the only event three and a half years prior to his death would be his baptism. And this easily is the best option, in my opinion, to fit what is being discussed here. And I believe it's the one proven by Scripture. Messiah means anointed. And remember, one of the purposes of the prophecy from the end of verse 24 is to anoint the most holy. And remember, that's, in my opinion, speaking of Christ. Some people say, no, 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 it's got to be a place. No, it doesn't. I proved that a couple messages ago, that it can refer to a number of things, including people. And so I've covered all that in a previous lesson. If you go back and listen to that, you get all the details. But I believe his baptism marked the beginning of the 70th week, and it was Christ's baptism where he was publicly presented to Israel as the Messiah. In John chapter 1, verses 29 through 32 It says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Let that sink in, amen? Because he was born six months after. How did he come before him? Whoop! All right, I'll get excited, amen? Because he's God in the flesh. All right, I'll preach later. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on him. That is his anointing. We know that because the next event, he goes after the 40 days in the wilderness and being tempted, he goes into Nazareth and he picks up the word of God from the minister there and he reads out of Isaiah and he says, the Lord hath anointed me to preach the gospel. 
And so this makes perfect sense in my mind. God made it clear to all that this was the presenting of the Messiah to Israel because a voice from heaven, God Himself, spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately following Christ's baptism in John chapter 1, listen to what we find in verses 40 and 41. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So there was to be 69 weeks or 483 years unto the Messiah the Prince. And clearly Christ was anointed by the Spirit of the Lord at His baptism, which was also His public manifestation to Israel. In my opinion, this clearly marks the beginning of the 70th week. Now before we move on to verse 26, let's go back to the question, why are the 69 weeks divided into two sections of seven weeks and 62 weeks. I'm of the opinion what we're meant to understand is that seven weeks or 49 years would be for the restoration of Jerusalem. This was a long process for people to return to the land. It would be a long process to rebuild. Yeah, they did the wall in 52 days. You can read that over in Nehemiah. But Haggai is going to deal with their apathy on why they're dwelling in nice houses and God's house still isn't built. And so it took time for all of this to take place. And not to mention, we know it was going to be a difficult process because the end of verse 25, it tells us that the street would be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And so 62 weeks or 434 years would be the time after the restoration unto the announcement of Messiah the Prince at Christ's baptism. That's my opinion. So we go from uh, the, the command, we have a 49-year period of restoration, we have 62 weeks, which we're going to see covered in chapters 11 and 12, and then uh, Christ is baptized, and we keep going from there. And so we have now seen one of the six purposes of this prophecy fulfilled in Christ's baptism, the anointing of the Most Holy And since this begins the 70th week, the other five purposes must find their fulfillment within Christ's ministry during that 70th week. And if all six of these purposes are fulfilled during Christ's ministry, then the 70th week started nearly 2,000 years ago. And it can't begin in the future as most commonly taught today. And I'm going to try to make that abundantly clear as we progress. So don't give up on me if you're struggling with all of this. Now with that, let's move on to verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now this verse is really where the controversy surrounding this prophecy begins. I just covered, verse 25 brings us to the completion of the first 69 weeks, and better yet, the beginning of the 70th week. And now verse 26 begins by taking us into the 70th week. After 62 weeks. And remember, you got to add the 7 to that. So after 69 weeks. And listen, please, I'm not trying to be funny. 
But what number always follows 69? 70. Amen. It's always 70. All right, maybe I'm trying to be a little funny. But let me give you just a quick side note right here. There are those who disagree with me who will adamantly preach, one must interpret all prophecy literally all the time in order to rightly divide the Word of God. I believe there are times for literal interpretations, and I believe there are times for spiritual interpretations. This is a spiritual book. It is to be spiritually understood. We must possess the Spirit to understand it. And like it or not, the Bible is full of allegories and and symbolism. Just read what Paul wrote over in Galatians 4. He says, these things are an allegory. And then you read over in Hebrews 9. And it talks about how uh, all the Old Testament sacrifices, they were figures of who? Christ. And so the Bible is full of these kind of things. My point is, I get blasted for supposedly not interpreting the Scriptures literally. Well, let's look at this literally. What week literally follows the 69th week? The 70th week. And what's interesting is those who will pound their fist and say, we must have a literal interpretation unknowingly start to spiritualize the rest of this prophecy. They do so first by teaching there's no way that the 70th follows the 69th week. But instead, there's this undetermined amount of time that is going to take place in between the 69th and the 70th week, which has now been going on for some 2,000 years. But remember from verse 24, these 70 weeks are determined. Now, consider this. Is there any prophecy in Scripture where it gives an exact time frame, but includes a gap in that timeline? And the answer is no. Never has a specified stretch of time in God's Word been taken to mean anything but what it says. Many will suggest there are several prophecies that have a gap. The problem is the ones that I've always been given never contained a timeline to begin with. And so that doesn't hold water. Here's just a handful of examples, and there's many more we could look at. But the 430-year sojourning of Abraham's posterity, (laughs) posterity, there was no break in years. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine in Joseph's day, there were no breaks in years. Uh, 40-year wilderness wandering, no breaks in years. 70-year captivity, no break in years. Christ in the grave, no breaks in days. Now, if you were to travel 49 miles from your house and grab a bite at Adrian's favorite restaurant, because she has to eat anytime we go somewhere. Amen, sis? That's all we did on our trip. Then you get back in your car and you travel another 434 miles. And then say after a total of 483 miles that you only have seven more miles to go until you complete the 490-mile trip you ought to expect those last seven miles to immediately follow the prior 483 miles. Right? Is everybody with me? But what happens if, as you're driving along, you discover it's going to be another 2,000 miles until you're able to drive those last seven miles? Well, then it wouldn't be a 490-mile trip. It'd be a 2,490-mile trip. (laughs) Well, this makes sense to me. 
So we have here a 70-week period or 490 years, which is determined, it's cut out. But once we arrive to the end of the 69 weeks or 483 years, many are teaching God places an indefinite period of time between the 69th and the 70th week, which has now lasted for some 2,000 years. Bummer. If the 70th week is yet future, and if it was to be completed in our day, then at its completion, we could not say it was a 490 years, but it would be almost 2,490 years, or 355.714285 weeks, not 70 weeks. I hope you can see the problem when it comes to jamming a gap into this prophecy. If we consider verse 26 logically and even literally, then when we read after three score and two weeks for that total of 69, shall Messiah be cut off, then we should logically and literally expect it to occur within the 70th week. 70th should follow 69. Don't make an imaginary gap appear out of nowhere. Now, when we read after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, everybody in their right mind knows this is talking about Jesus' crucifixion. And I want us to know and understand that Messiah being cut off is the apex of this prophecy. All debate aside, this is what we need to know. And this is going to sound trivial to you, but you'll see later on in this study that it isn't. And again, I'm not trying to talk down to anybody, but which Messiah is being referred to in verse 26? Contextually, it must refer back to the Messiah, the Prince, from verse 25. That's the context. Is everybody with me? Look at what it says here. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So it's the same Messiah being talked about in verse 26, who has just been mentioned in verse 25. Everybody with me on that? We have to stay within the context if we're going to get this prophecy right. Now, this is going to be vital when we consider the prince. What's the context? Messiah, the prince. You're not suggesting that the princes are the same. Yes, the messiahs are the same. The princes are the same. It's the same sentence. Now we're told Messiah shall be cut off. To cut off means to die, and it usually means to die a violent death. Isaiah 53.8 tells us he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And this is an interesting Hebrew word that we have here. Not only does it mean to die, but it is often associated with the making of a covenant. Keep that in mind when we get to verse 27, because somebody's going to make a covenant with many for one week. 
being cut off also meant your lineage was done away with. For example, Joshua 7, 9 says, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And so the idea is that Christ would be cut off and that he would have nothing, no heritage, no authority, no dynasty or kingdom. Since the Messiah would come as the Messiah, the Prince, then it would seem reasonable that the expectation was for him to have a kingdom. Amen? The problem is, they looked for an earthly kingdom and their hope was cut off. But don't miss this. Through him being cut off and being raised again, what did he do? He purchased to himself an heritage. He received all power. He established his kingdom. Hallelujah, what a Savior. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Our Lord would not die for any crimes that he had done. He was the perfect, sinless, still is, sinless Lamb of God. He died for us. And in so doing, he was treated just like a sinner. He didn't deserve that treatment. He became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Psalm 37.9 For evildoers shall be cut off. What? Messiah was cut off. What is the Bible? Evildoers are cut off. How could He be an evildoer? Because He had our sin upon Him. Proverbs 2.22, but the wicked shall be cut off from the earth and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. Isaiah 53.9, and he made his grave with the wicked. And it was so bad for our Lord that on crucifixion day on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Don't ever lose sight of the horrible death that our Savior endured by taking our sin upon himself. He paid a debt he did not owe. Our sin debt. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53.10 is hard for me to wrap my head around, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Hey, he was cut off for us. You understand God loves you? Don't ever forget that. It's hard sometimes when you're down in the valley. But God loves you. He died for you. And if you haven't received His free gift of salvation, all you have to do is turn to Him, look to His sacrifice, humbly bow before Him, call upon Him in faith to save you. It's that simple. Only believe. Only trust Him now. We're going to leave it here for tonight. There's really not much disagreement in the first phrase of verse 26. But in what follows, I'm convinced the controversy will continue 
until the Lord returns. And then everybody can point fingers at each other. Amen? <laughs> I was right. You were wrong. Do you really think we're going to care in that day? I'm just going to be glad I'm in the presence of my Savior. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who are the people and who is the prince? That's what we're going to look at next time. And if we'll just slow down and we'll allow the word of God to say what it says, we'll find out that this prophecy is all about the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing to do with Antichrist. So until next time, let's pray.